So I have a theory, and my theory is that I think people do want to change. I think most people want to grow. Most people want to change. In fact, it would be rare if, to, if I met someone. I think it would actually be unhealthy if someone told me, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Pastor Ben, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'm, I'm doing fine. I would, I would think of that as, as unhealthy. And even non-Christians, people all across America, believe in this thing called change because New Year's revolu- re- resolutions, revolutions, <laughs> we might need one of those. New Year's resolutions are a manifestation of this desire. Many people will say, this is what I'm resolving to do in the new year. In fact, I want to show you some research from Statista. This is what they polled a bunch of people and came up with. 59% of people said they want to save more money, making resolutions along this line. 50% want to exercise more. 47% want to eat healthier. 40% more time with family and friends. 35% uh, want to lose more weight, 26, reduce spending, 19% less social media, and 19% that we're honest, want less job stress, of course. All this is great. I mean, there's, as a Christian, I look up there and I don't see like spiritual progress, which is most important, right? So the Apostle Paul said that physical discipline is of some value, but godliness even greater. And so this is important to us, that it should be our top priority as we seek to enter into a new year. But I was reading another article from Fisher College of Business, and they were summarizing the effectiveness of New Year's resolutions. And they said only 9% of Americans that make resolutions actually complete them. I just want that to sit out there for a second. 23% of people quit their resolution by the end of the first week. Forty-three percent of people quit their resolution by the end of January, and the rest just struggle their way through until they finally give up. Here's what the statistics tell us. They tell us that good intentions are not good enough, and resolutions in the flesh do not work. We can say whatever we want, but if we're not committed to change and we're not enabled and empowered towards that change, it's just not going to happen. I was thinking about all these passages because Christians have a theological underpinning for this idea of change, growth, and transformation. There are a lot of places that I could go to to prove this, but one of them is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And here's what the Apostle Paul says after talking extensively about salvation and the greatness of God to graft us in, those that are Gentiles. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Some translations say the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. This is process, what he's talking about, the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Paul gives us an understanding here, not just here, but other places, that we're either being conformed to a pattern by default, that is the world, or we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And he says the bridge between where we are and where we want to be is this process called renewing our mind. So we don't start out where we need to be. We're born again, and we have a new nature, we have a new heart, but to walk in that, to walk that out, to do that, to look more like Jesus. We actually have to have this 
Our mind, not just our brain, but our mind, our soul has to be renewed because we are pre-programmed to be bent towards things that are not good for us. Not only should we not do that, but we shouldn't be thinking that. And I've learned this. I'm sure you can resonate with it, but it's not just what you think in terms of an outcome, like this is what I think, but it's how we think. It's how we process. It's the filtration system by which we look at life. How we think and what we think is very important. And God wants to renew our mind to totally transform who we are. And this is a process. We could call this sanctification. There are many other terms for it. And so I want to ask you today this question. How do people really change? How do people really change? If we wake up in the morning and we think change is automatic, we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. It's, it's funny because if you're married or you're in a relationship with someone, maybe you don't do something they like and li they'll tell you. They'll be courageous enough to bring you into an awareness that you apparently do not have. And they'll say, hey, you do this thing. I do not like it. And they don't say this, but oftentimes whenever we tell someone something they're doing we don't like, the expectation may be that after I tell you said thing, it no longer exists in our world. But how many of you know that isn't how it works? Because change is slow. Awareness is the first step of change. We have to come into an awareness of something that needs to grow or change. But it's not like a toggle switch, like the light was off and now the light is on. Just flick it on and now we're different. No, no, it's more like a dimmer. Everybody say dimmer. Not dumber, okay, dimmer, dimmer switch. Change is slow and our expectations need to, to adapt. And so how do we change? And I wanna to submit to you today this process of renewing our mind. We need to have some way that we're engaging God that we understand will actually bring change into, into our lives. Because otherwise I just don't think that, that it happens. And we want to change, we, we want to grow. If your life is more simple, and you don't have a lot of complication to it, you don't have a lot of respons responsibilities, and you might be retired, and I'm not just talking about you, because you could be retired, and then you just filled your life up with more things. Come on, retired people, say amen. You're like, I thought I'd have all this time. <laughs> not at all. And so if your life is more simple, maybe you feel like a process is too much. But the more things that we have in our life, the more responsibilities the more we actually do need some kind of process. And I've picked up a process over the last 12 years that I've been using, and it's modified and grown, and I've adapted it into um, things that I've learned. And I use this, and it does bring a little bit deeper and a little bit more lasting change into my, into my life. And if you were to use this process that I'm about to share with you very simply, I'm just going to give you an overview of it. If you were to use this, I would tell you, you can't do this in an hour. If you're saying, Ben, I want to do what you're talking about, it would take you four to five hours minimum. You'd have to set aside half a day, maybe a full day. And some of you need to go on a retreat, which you probably have not done in a long time or ever. But I would guarantee you that if you engage some process like this that I'm going to submit to you, I believe, I really do, that it would bring lasting change. Uh, at minimum, it would introduce you to a new level of awareness and for $29.95, all of you today, <laughs> you knew it was coming, you do. No, you get it for free, all right. Actually, it costs you a lot of time and energy and effort. Uh, here's the three parts to this, okay? This is the modified version. If you want more, 
after the service, you can email me and I will send you the outline with all the dashboards and I will send you the podcast that corresponds with all the material. It gives you three times what I'm telling you, okay? So if you, if you really want to do that, great. Um, otherwise, I think some of this will probably minister to you. Three things. Number one is evaluation. Number two is vision. And number three is planning. These are the three things to the process that uh, I use. So let's dive into evaluation. Evaluation is the question that we're answering is, where have I been? Looking back, this is what I do every January. I look back over the year, and I ask the question, where have I been? Because the assumption that I have is I want to grow beyond that, right? So this is why assessment and evaluation is so important. And life is full of assessments. We understand this, right? So if you work a job, you have a review, looking at your performance. If you have a business, sometimes you have like audits. If you have kids, you have parent-teacher meetings because you're looking at their behavior, amen, and we're evaluating what life has been like. Why? Because we want improvement. That's the whole idea, isn't it? And so in our spiritual life, how much more should we have something that we do because our spiritual life is even more important? The scriptures give us a lot of passages that talk about examination, evaluation, but one that rises to the top to me is Psalm 139. This has come to me a few times over the last few weeks. And verse 23, David writes, search me or examine me is what he means and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, this is King David, a man after God's own heart. He's saying to God, search me. And the Amplified Bible says it this way, search me thoroughly. Take out the surgeon's scalpel and go deep. I don't just want some superficial, you're doing pretty good. I want you to look into my heart and into my soul. And I want you to tell me if there is something there that needs to be removed. I want you to look so deeply into me, into things that I can't even see about myself. Friends, this is a dangerous prayer, isn't it? I want you to show me what I cannot see, God, because I know that if I'm to take those steps, I have to see what you see. I can't just keep going the path that I think is right for me. I have to go down a path that you see for me. So David says this, and we ought to say it as well. It's an evaluational prayer with the assumption that I want to have all that God wants me to have and do all that God asks of me. But there are three things about evaluation that are really important. First, I just want to sell you on why you would evaluate your life. What's the why behind that? The why. And and here's a quote that I heard somebody share once. They said, experience isn't the best teacher. We say that, don't we say? Experience is the best teacher. It's not true. He says, evaluated experience is the best teacher. You can have experience and have never learned anything from it. You can go through hard times, but you didn't look back and take inventory and extrapolate some principles about that experience that caused you to live a different life. There are a lot of people, and they keep learning the same thing. This is going around the mountain again and again and again. How many times do we want to be thumped? All right. We go around the mountain again, and we didn't learn anything through that last experience because we have to evaluate our experience. What did I do? What did I, what did I not do? What should I stop doing? What am I supposed to learn from? So it's very important that we think of it in terms of evaluated experience. But there's a couple reasons why we would do this. Why would we evaluate ourselves? Number one is personal evaluation will remind you about your purpose. We start out really good during, in, the, in the year, in the beginning of the year. We start out great. Isn't, isn't that right? 
Maybe not. Okay, I'm not sure where you're at. But uh, theoretically, we start out really good. And isn't it amazing how something can happen during the year that can reroute our direction? Maybe it's a tragedy, a loss, something painful, unforeseen most likely. Maybe it is that we picked up a habit that started becoming the biggest time sucker that we've ever had. Like you watched a television show and that thing really got you. And you were like, I must watch this show all the time. I must binge it. And you kept lying to yourself like you're not binging it, but you've been binge watching that show. And there's nothing wrong with a little bit of the devil vision. I'm not saying that, there's, that it's totally wrong. But isn't it amazing how a neutral thing that in moderation is not that bad, but it can start to suck away our time. And here's what I want to tell you. When you start to evaluate how much time you've given to something and you realize you have a purpose, like, we've, like time is short and it's over before we know it. And we've got a purpose from God. He has things for us to do. Evaluating what we've been doing reminds us, friends, I've got a purpose that I've got to be about, and I don't have much time to finish this. So let's stop wasting it on all these other things that do not deserve my energy and my attention. This is what we're talking about. I told you this story if you were at that class last year. This is just telling on me. Let me give you a a really good example to make fun of myself. One day, my family was not home. I was home. And I looked out onto our backyard, and I thought, I must change everything about this. (laughs) Maybe it's too much HGTV. I don't know. And I was looking at our patio, and I had not fully decided that we were going to change it. But something about that day, I, I had this compulsive thing come over me. And I had a few, <laughs> stop shaking you, I know what you're doing. It happens, I had this thing come over me, you need to go out there right now and just rip out that patio. And I did it. I know. I ripped out the patio with no plan. And it became a year plus project. I'm writing a book, you understand? Like I'm writing a book. So my spare time is going to like writing a book and I'm getting prepped for this thing that I'm gonna be doing. And so I don't have, amen, we don't have spare time. I just went out there and I start ripping this thing apart and my family, <laughs> I, I drafted everyone into this project that someday we were gonna do, but we did, I didn't plan it and execute it well. And here's what I learned along the way is is that you can unintentionally disrupt what God has for you by making a really bad decision. And you have a purpose in this life that God wants you to accomplish. I don't care who you are, how you feel about your life right now. The truth is you have a purpose and we need to be about it. And if we evaluate ourselves, we can remind who we, we can remind us of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing right now. I'm not supposed to be spending my time on this, maybe down the road. Number two is personal evaluation will reveal your habits and your patterns and your weaknesses. And we tend to pick these things up over the years um, or over the year, and we tolerate so much. Like we will adapt down to a level. I mean, it's fascinating to me that you can start out with a half an hour of screen time on your phone and you can lie to yourself all year like you're not looking at your phone for three and a half hours a day. But there is this app or there's this thing that they've given you called screen time. 
and you don't look at it often enough, but it will not lie to you. It'll tell you the truth of your life. It's like a mirror. It's beautiful. And we think, in my, in my, it's amazing. Like, we're so generous to ourselves at times. Like, we, you might be hard on yourself, but the truth is like, oh, it's not that bad. It's that bad. <laughs> and unless you actually look at that and write it down, it's painful to write it down. You're not really going to own where you're at. And if you don't own where you're at, you can't change. You can't change from where you think you are. You can only change from where you actually are. I mean, counselors get paid good money to sit with people and hopefully help reflect back to them the truth of where they are and own it. And then when we own it, we can make steps to change it. Number three is personal evaluation will refocus us on what really matters, right? It turns our aspirational values and vision into actual values and vision. And then finally, personal evaluation will provide an opportunity for change and growth, which is the point, which is why we would go through something like this. So what do we evaluate about our lives? What, what are the things that we look at? And here's what I want to present to you. It's on your paper that you have. It's in the middle there. These are what you might call dashboards. So when you go to a time of evaluation, it's going to take you several hours. If you ask for the, paper, uh, the paperwork that I'll send to you, if you're interested, I'll actually send you all these sections. And so I, these are the ones that I use. I evaluate every single category. It takes me a lot of time. So my spiritual life, Marriage, family, work, ministry, finances, physical health, mental, emotional health, friendships, and media. Those are my dashboards, and I want to see how I'm doing. And here are the questions that I ask myself. I won't give them all to you. I'm just giving you a few. Here's spiritual life. Are you studying and reading the Bible daily? Are you journaling? Have you fasted regularly? Are you drawn towards worshiping the Lord? Where's my heart at? Do I long to? Do I look forward to worshiping the Lord? Do I practice Sabbath and enjoy God's presence? Here's marriage. Do I have a consistent date night? How is my communication with my wife? How is my attitude towards my spouse? Is my friendship with her growing? Are we praying together? Am I pursuing my wife? I ask these questions. <clears throat> Family, am I praying for them? Do we have consistent time together? Am I aware of what's happening in the hearts and the lives of my children? What are God's promises over my kids? Here's an interesting fact. Because I've been doing this for so many years, I actually have files for all this. I can look back eight years ago and pull up what I wrote about my kids under this evaluation. And then I have a section under vision where I write down what I believe the Lord's speaking to me about for my kids. And there are promises that the Lord has given to me. And I thought it was fascinating that one year I actually wrote down a date about one of my kids that we were praying for. And later on, because it actually had a year in it, I was able to pull that up in my evaluational process and see, it was like three years down the road, God spoke to me that a certain date, a certain year was gonna be significant for one of our kids. And this is just a fascinating thing that happens as you seek God and lay out your life in front of him, you, get, you have this written account of walking this out with God. And I'm just telling you, it's a blessing. How about work? Are things going well at work? Are you doing what you want to do? Are you developing as an employee or employer? Are there any habits that hinder you from giving your best job? Are you overworking in any way? Are there changes coming and are you preparing well for those changes? These are very important questions to ask. So when I'm talking about evaluation, I'm not just, you know, the, this document evaluation for me is about five pages long when I'm finished, all right? 
taking it seriously. All right, so how do we evaluate our lives? Everybody get this? This is what we evaluate. How do we evaluate our lives? Couple points of encouragement. Number one is choose a quiet environment. That does make a difference, by the way. This makes a difference. Uh, so where you go and how you, where you do this is important. Number two is limit your interruptions. Don't check your emails. Don't do work. This, this has to be a place where you can do a deep dive and, and unplug. Uh, number three is take your time. If you're, I started out doing simple stuff, and it didn't, didn't serve me very well. So now I actually think about it, and I write paragraphs instead of like half sentences. I, I take time. This is, I want to take my life seriously. So what I'm talking is a serious approach here. Uh, number, number four is write out details as much as possible. Be honest with yourself, number five. Um, don't be too generous. Don't be too harsh. Just be honest. And then use a rating system, number six. Um, this is just helpful for me whenever I evaluate my life and I actually write all this stuff down. I like to rate how I'm doing in being honest. So I have three things that I'll do. I'll put a G next to it. That means good. Keep doing what you're doing. This is good. Keep this going. The second is I write NI, which needs improvement. You need to address this. You need to look at this and you need to make sure that your goals reflect your desire for change. And then NC means um, needs change. This is not do better. This is do different. Stop doing the same thing because it's not getting you anywhere. So these are the three ways that I grade myself. I know some of you legalists love this. It's amazing. <laughs> it's not legalistic. It's just a process. That's all it is. And then finally, evaluate yearly and review quarterly. I don't do this many times a year. That would be brutal. I, I probably wouldn't. I'd die. I just would die. <laughs> and so this is evaluation. Search me, oh God, examine me. I'm giving you a process for you to renew your mind where when you say, search me, this is, this is the time that you're spending with God to go deep. I know we have good intentions, friends. I do. And you may not use this process, but use something. Spend more quality time with God, let him go deep, and don't try to remember that time with him. Write it down. Write it down. Take some serious time away with the Lord. At least do this once a year. You should do this more regularly, but this is, this is my encouragement to you. All right, the second part of this is vision. Everybody breathe. You good? Second part of this is vision. This is essential as we prayerfully consider where we've been. We want to also prayerfully consider where we're going. And vision to me is easy. Look, I always love listening to young people when they get a new vision and they're like, we're going to change the world. We're going to solve poverty. We're going to, you know, they just think they're going to do everything, right? And we know that's not going to happen because uh, you can have grandiose vision. I could, I could sit up here and talk to you about all the things that I want to do, but what is God actually asking me to put my hand to? So when I write out vision, I don't write lofty stuff. I write practical things that I believe God wants me to do and I can do with his help in the future. What are those, what are those things? So here are some questions that I ask myself. Number one is what would you really like to do with the rest of your life? Vocation, calling, career. Some people say, I don't like what I'm doing right now. Okay, what are you praying about then? Like, did you know during COVID, there was this thing called the great resignation? I don't know what it was. It was like 35 plus percent of people resigned from their careers in order to do something different. 
25% of pastors did that. And here's what I say. That was probably healthy for a lot of people. They probably should have stepped down and moved in a different direction. And it took COVID for them to do it. But this is what we're calling it, the great resignation. Did you know that people can become irritable and frustrated and bitter just because they're in the wrong place? Like some people will set out to be a teacher and they're just not a good teacher because they shouldn't be doing it. It's not whether or not they can do it. It's that they'd hate it. Or how many of you have met doctors and, and nurses and they're amazing? You're like, gosh, I would come to the doctor if this is how I was treated. Don't get offended right now, all right? But then I've gone to the doctor before and I feel like an idiot. I'm like, this guy doesn't even like his own life, you know? I'm not, I mean, not kidding. Like you just, it's amazing like how there's a difference in what somebody's doing. Now, they could have had a bad day. I'm not trying to, I'll pick on mechanics for a second. You know, you go to the mechanic. It's like, don't pick on the nurses. Um, but the truth is maybe somebody's doing something they shouldn't do. They don't like people and yet they're a nurse. That's a bad, that doesn't. It's kind of like being a pastor and you don't spend time with God. I mean, it just wouldn't, I don't know, it just wouldn't work. But some of the pastors that stepped down should have. Maybe they went to seminary and they thought, this is what I want to do because somebody else wanted them to. I think we need to look at our life and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Who cares about the money? Maybe you make more money doing this, but isn't that more of a worldly thought? Like I make twice the money. Wouldn't you be happier if you did something that you felt touched your calling and you made half the money? Yes, I think you would. You'd be less miserable. And so instead of waiting for us to get burned out, if we had this yearly process where we could check our heart and ask the question, am I doing what I should be so we could have vision for next steps instead of just staying somewhere and being bitter? We don't need to do that. We, don't, we just don't need to do that. So it's very important to ask these questions about vision as we're looking forward. If you're saying, I can't wait till I retire, Perhaps there's more for you than that. All right, number two, what do you really care about more than anything else? What's your passion, your focus? What do you talk about? If you ask people around you and you said, what do I talk about? This is the, this is the stuff that comes out of you. And I want to say your vocation and your calling don't always have to be the same. Sometimes we work a job and that's just what we do, but we still can have a calling that, is, that can manifest through our vocation or not. God can use us in, in any way. We are still the same person wherever, wherever we go, of course. But what do you really care about? Identify your priorities, and this will help you with future steps. Number three, what are three things around your life that you want to see better over the next several years? My wife uh, was a single teen mom, and so she has a heart for single teen moms, and she's always cultivated this desire to want to do something about that. And then Hope for Families was a ministry that started to grow in our church, and now she oversees it. And she's starting to touch her calling, and that's growing and advancing. And it came through the church. Sometimes it comes through the church. Sometimes it comes through our vocation. It doesn't matter. My point is, is that if you start to say, I want this to be better, how many people want our society to be better? and they're sick of the laws, and they're all this stuff, and they're ang you're angry, you're upset about it, but politically you're doing nothing. You're not engaged at all, and so you're mad at everyone else. But what if that frustration is God's way of saying, I want you to get involved and stop being so mad? Come on, I, that, that deserved an amen. <laughs> like, you're just mad. Like, the world is just going to hell and society and blah, 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 but you're doing nothing about it. 
What if that frustration is a seed that God planted and he doesn't want us just to be mad, but he wants us to pray. We're identifying a priority. I want this to be different. So what? Now what? As we evaluate and we think about vision, maybe he wants us to get involved. And in our retirement, maybe we will have more time to do that. And so we start to prepare ourselves. We read, we get educated, we learn more instead of just being frustrated. Friends, we have a short life and it's not worth giving ourselves to frustration. Let's do something about what we care about. What do you want to see changed? And so I tell people it would be better in every stage of our life, but for, for those that are retired, sometimes you can feel like, hey, I'm, I'm just on the bench. No, no, no. What's in your heart though? What do you care about? What do you want to see changed? Right? I mean, it's great to get the award from the Homeowners Association about the nicest lawn. Like, amen. Like, hey, what a goal. That's, uh, you know, I've got the nicest lawn, the bird bath. I got, that's great. That's cool. But let's not waste our life on having the nicest lawn. Can I get an amen? Come on now. Some of you, I want your lawn to be nice. I'm your neighbor. Come on. I love you. And I'm learning from some of you guys. All right. I've, I've gotten plenty of emails about how to help my fig tree. I, I like it. I like it. But, but let's, let's not get a horticulture degree at the end of our life and, and just die grooming plants. That might be part of what we do and we enjoy it, but it can't be our passion. We are called to help change some things in the world. And you've got stuff in you and we can just spend our time like just walking on the seashore, looking at seashells. Wow, I've got a massive seashell collection. And none of your kids are gonna take that collection and save it. I just want you to know. You got this whole room like devoted to Hot Wheels and everything, or whatever your thing is, like, or sneakers, and they're all gonna go because your next generation ain't gonna care. They ain't gonna care. So what are we storing up? What are we doing? See, dive down deep. What's that thing in you? What's that thing that could touch someone else? Do you want better theology and life for our young people? Is that what you want? Man, kids, this next generation, they're doing terrible. They don't even know God anymore. It, it reminds me of judges. They, everybody did what's right in their own eyes. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? The public education, look at what's happening. Look at what non-Christians are teaching non-Christian kids. It's terrible. What about what Christians are teaching Christian kids? I'll give you an opportunity. I'll tell you what, you want better theology? You want stronger young people? I'll give you a silver platter opportunity. We have 200 children in our church and 100 youth, and they need us to teach them theology. They need us to be an example. They need us to be in their face. Let's stop backing off our kids. We want that to be better. Let's pick that up and do something about it. And when you start to envision what God has for your life, you'll pick that thing up and say, I'm going to give less time to my plants and more time to people. Okay, I'm preaching this. All right, I can. I'm telling you. Okay. Next service is going to get it harder. I'm going to look all mean. Give me a week off. You see what happens. What are three things that you want to accomplish with your life? What are three things that you want to do before it's done, before you meet Jesus? What are those things? That's a really good question. Number five, what, what has God specifically told you to do in the past? Have you accomplished that? Are you making any steps towards that? 
I cannot tell you after writing a book, which by the way is, don't do it, amen. Just, <laughs> but uh, 60,000 words, it's a lot. I can't tell you how many people have told me they feel called to write a book and every year just keeps, you know, you, you gotta put something into your schedule where you're gonna hold yourself to it, all right? So I believe everybody can do those things, but many of us don't. We just keep talking about our potential and what we would like to do. You can make little steps, amen, and we should never despise the day of small beginnings, ever. And here's my third and final part is plan. How do I get there? Past, future, how do I get there? The first is personal goals. We have to set some goals. These are realistic goals. These are very important. This is how we take our evaluation to the next level. I'm just gonna like summarize this. All those dashboards that I talked to you about evaluating, those become our points of vision. And they also become the place where we set a couple goals. Here are some of my goals. My spiritual goals. Read the Bible every day with Northwest Church Bible reading plan. Soft plug, soft plug. It's four chapters a day. My second goal is journal daily. Passage, prayer, prophetic. I journal a passage. This is how I do it. I just write out one full passage. I journal a perspective on that. I journal a prayer on that. And I journal any prophetic words that the Lord gives to me. I write names, I write categories, I just journal every single day. And some of my journal entries are, I would never want to read them to anybody. They're just a way for me to reflect in my spiritual life. But this is my goal. My goal is to fast weekly on Wednesdays. Um, and I have many others with financial goals, media goals, friendship goals. One of my uh, friendship goals was to have a weekly time of communication and prayer with one of my closest friends. And over the year, that had really drifted. Like, I hadn't talked to him for like three months, and I realized, oh man, this is not good. Maybe you don't have a good friend that you're talking with. And so your goal is to pray regularly for the right friend that you can actually do what the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Maybe you don't have that person, so the first goal is to pray for that person to be in your life. Identify them. That's your goal. But my goal was that we need to, uh, I need to have this regular time with them and not lose that time. So I called my friend while I was sick and miserable on my couch. And I said, hey, it's been a long time. We haven't been talking and praying together. And so what I'd like to do is every Tuesday, no excuses, 8 a.m., that's what we're going to do. And he was like, oh, bro, yeah, totally, man. That's exactly what we did. You know, he was right there with me. And so that's, what, that's Tuesdays are coming, 8 a.m., that's my personal goal. And so I take my goals, which are simple and they're step-oriented. I do them. And then I make what I call an action plan. This is where we take out the good old technology and we put it into our phone. We make an appointment with God. We make an appointment with people. We make an appointment with family. We start to structure that into an action plan that, that really works. So if you do an old school journal or an old school daily planner. Does anybody have those anymore? I just want to, God bless you. <laughs> if you got to use that, use it. Whatever you use, schedule that out. Make a structure that's like a wineskin so that God can pour in the wine and give you grace to help you walk this out. We're not trying to build some kind of scaffolding that's going to fall, but we have to have something like, here's, God, I want to change. 
I want to grow. I want my mind to renew. I, I want to spend more time with you. I want to spend more time with family. I want to have consistent. We, all that has good intentions, but how? How? Here's a, here's a process. You can use it. You can change it. You can use part of it. But get out your schedule and start writing out what this is going to look like. Like as I'm writing a book, I'm scheduling slots and deadlines for all of the things that I'm doing. That's going to take me from what I want to do from what I'm, actu- to what I'm actually doing, all right? I know it's practical, probably too practical, but let me close by sharing the scripture with you, which I think brings it all together. Ephesians 5 and verse 15, Paul said this to the Ephesian church, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Look at this, make the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, which means wastefulness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many people are full of dissipation or drunkenness, or let's call it this, they're intoxicated by the things of the world. They're captivated by all of these lesser things. Don't be drunk. Let's just say, don't be intoxicated by the things of the world. The days are evil. The time is short. Grab a hold of your future. Grab a hold of your discipleship and take your life as serious as you possibly can. Take it as seriously as you possibly can. Because a year can go by and you go, man, nothing really happened. Okay, let's do something different. Let's do something different. And I'm thankful that I had a friend show me a process that works. There's a lot of them. I want to close by um, telling you about a vision I had. I was praying for our church. And I had this vision where I saw a bunch of people were sitting down in a chair. And they were hunched over. And it was like the word of the Lord came. Like a word from God was spoken over this group, us as a people. And that word was encouraging. That word was empowering. It was like, get to your feet, strengthen your knees, strengthen your back and go after it. It it was a real like word from God. And I watched as people tried to get up. They were hunched over and as they tried to get up, I saw a big hand on their back with pressure, just pushing them down. So as they tried to get up, this hand got stronger and they felt this pressure. So for a time, they tried to push themselves out of it so they could stand up and move on and do what God said. But the pressure was so much that so many just went, ah, and they went back down into that posture that they had been in for a long time. And as I was watching this picture in my my mind, the Lord gives pictures to represent something that is true. And also he gives promises as to what he wants to do in the midst of that. And it was like I heard the voice of the Lord say, I want to break the curse that is causing people to stay where they are unnecessarily. Like there is a heavy hand on some of our lives that is keeping us where we are. It's like a curse. It's like a word that's been spoken over us and we just haven't moved on. It's like some kind of stuck posture and position and we don't want to be there, but for some reason we're staying there and we want to, we hear like, Ben, I want to change. I want to grow. I want to move on. I want to move on with God. I want to do something different. I want to bring change to the world. I understand I have a calling and a all that's true. But every time I seem to like get up, I can't move. There's a pressure that seems bigger than me and I can't break it 
but I need help. And it's embarrassing to like try to explain to somebody you need help and you don't know what you need help with. Spiritually, at times there are things, and I know these words can be overused in Pentecostal circles. I don't, I don't like all that, but I, I'm saying that when you see something that God shows you, we've got to speak to it because the word of the Lord is, I can break the power of that to free us into this next season and move on with God, move on with God. I believe this with all my heart. If it's a word from God, there's power attached to it. If it's just my words, it means nothing. It's just a cool picture. And we, move, we, just, we all go get a donut and coffee. But if it's from God, if it's a word from God and the Lord says, I will break that and enable you to move on, friend, if that's a word for you, then God will do that. I, I believe with all my heart. That's, this is why words are powerful. You have to say it and it moves out in the atmosphere so we can have faith and believe what God is saying. I, I, I'm telling you, I, for, for some, that's you. You need God's aided power committed to your life to move on. And I wanna pray for you uh, this morning, if, uh, if that's you, would you stand to your feet? Would you do that? We'll close. Would you bow your head this morning as we pray? And I want you to boldly, uh, I want you to boldly raise your hand. Ben, that's me. That, that is absolutely me. Don't, don't give me a half hand. Don't, like, this is your life. Amen. Ben, this is me this morning. I don't know what the pressure is, but I need that thing to break. And I want to move on. I don't know why I'm stuck. I don't know what past thing. I don't know how to dig into my soul. I'm not sure, but I certainly don't want to be here. So with God's help, may we move on. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray that the confusion over us would break whatever it is, Lord, whatever words been spoken over, over us, whatever old past scenario that keeps pressing on us, and it's not allowing us to get involved. It's not allowing us to dream again. It's not allowing us to hear you the way that we want to. It's not a lack of desire. We can tell. Our hands are up, Lord, because we want everything that you have. We want to do everything that you say. We don't want to stay stuck anymore. And I pray that, Lord, whatever the pressure is, whatever the, that curse that thing over us. We pray that it would be broken today in the mighty name of Jesus. We take authority over it as a church. And if we need to repent, we will repent. If we need to forgive, we will forgive. If we need to let go, we, need, we will let go. But give us the strength to do it. God, give us the power to move through. Give, give us the strength to stand up today. Spiritually, we stand up. We come to you and we ask that you would help us with what we cannot do. Come, Holy Spirit. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come over your life and to empower you right now. We pray for a fresh baptism with the Holy Spirit today. We pray for fresh power from the Holy Spirit today. Come, Holy Spirit, empower us, fill us, God. Allow us to be free, free indeed. Your word over our life manifested with your power that we wake up tomorrow and there's a lightness in our step. It's like something heavy is over our mind and it's, it's just gone. It's just gone. Thank you for new grace to take new steps. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen.